the, the thing about what Matt was saying is, as Christians, we blow it sometimes. As believers, we blow it. As the church, we blow it sometimes. Cindy, what's up? It's good to smell you. Uh, but we we blow it sometimes, and then the world like looks at us and they pass judgment on us because we're supposed to be perfect. You know what I mean? And so uh, we get called a bunch of hypocrites, and you know how that whole thing plays out. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not perfect in my behavior, as Matt was saying. Uh, it's probably getting better every day, but uh, I still struggle with that. Uh, but when the church does blow it, the church does blow it, man, the news travels fast. It travels fast. Like, I, I get emails daily about the bad stuff that we as believers in the church have done. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a raw deal for, for us. Uh, but it happens. It happens in this room. Stuff happens. And there, it, there can be even fighting in this room. There can be disagreements in this room. I, I've been involved. I'm not going to deny it. But there's no doubt that unity is a huge part of who we are in this room. So when divisiveness does occur, when it does occur, it sticks out. Like, it It happens. And it's necessary. Unity is necessary for the church. I mean, people don't vote on the facts. They vote on who their friends are and what they like. That's what it comes down to. So, obviously, you don't like the same things that I like. And you don't think the same way that I think. Except when it comes to the one thing. And that would be Jesus. That's where our unity lies. The unity can be lost slowly or it can be lost quickly. And we start thinking about the things that uh, cause division, uh, pride, sin. That's like uh, sexual things, money, jealousy, bitterness, heresy, false teaching, legalism where we judge others, where there's religious things that happening, and even primary and secondary issues and trust, all that begins to like work in this room, and you, you think, well, that's what it's based upon. No, this room right here is based upon Jesus, and that's it. That's it. You go beyond that, then it gets real muddy. And this is what was happening in the church in Philippi that Paul is now in Rome and he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi Philippi because he loves them dearly and they've supported his ministry all these times but there's an issue going on. I don't know what the issue is because he doesn't say what the issue is. But in verse 2 where we left off of chapter 4 last week it says I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I also ask you, true partner, I'm writing to you, the church, so maybe a deacon or an elder in the church, 
to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. They were involved in Paul's ministry at one time, and now these two ladies are, they've lost the unity in the church. There's some, something that has divided them. It's made it all the way back to Paul in Rome, that something's going down back at the church of Philippi between these two ladies. Can somebody just sit down with them and talk to them? It says, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So literally, he's saying these two ladies and these workers, they're believers. They're probably mature believers because they were involved in his ministry. And conflict can start at leadership. can start right there at the beginning. And again, we don't know what the issue is that these two ladies are struggling with. Paul doesn't mention it. Paul's saying these, these two women need a mediator. They, they need someone to sit down between them and help decide what the issue is and help them work through it. It's just as... Jesus was the mediator for us. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Like, literally, Jesus stands for me, stands for me, not in between me. Because, as Matt was saying, I've been made righteous, I've been made holy, I've been forgiven when I stand before God, but Jesus stands with me because he's the mediator that died on the cross for me. So there's two sides, these two ladies, and they have to agree on two things. One, we're going to sit down at the table and meet together. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing that's got to happen. Two, we will do what the mediator says. We're, we're going to trust the mediator, the person in between. Sometimes this is needed in a marriage. Sometimes this is needed in a work relationship. Sometimes this is needed in a friendship. Sometimes it's needed in a family. Just to sit down, have some wisdom. Filter it with the word and trust them. And so Paul is, it, he's literally sitting in Rome thinking about this. And later on, he talks about worry. So when there's tension in the room, not necessarily this room, but maybe your room, it brings on anxiety. It brings on this anxiousness. And then, here, here's the issue. Dealing with these issues, right now, nearly 40 million adults, we're talking about 18 years and older, that's a little over 19% of the population, are living with serious anxiety disorders. One out of five in this room are de dealing with serious Anxiety disorders, panic attacks, depression, things like that. 
according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, this disorder is highly treatable, but only 37% of those affected actually receive treatment. Anxiety disorders cost the U.S. more than $42 billion a year, almost one-third of the $148 billion total mental health bill for the U.S. The point is life causes anxiety. What causes anxiety? I'll give you a non-clinical non-clinical definition, but it's just anticipating the future. It's anticipating the future in the worst possible scenario and freaking out about it. That's not a clinical definition. But if that happens, sometimes it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's almost like you, you, you force it to happen by dwelling on it and thinking about it. And you wear yourself out to the point of anxiety. Now, there's causes for anxiety. could be biological factors such as genes or brain chemistry. I get that. I understand that. Life experiences, trauma that you've experienced, abuse, family history, mental health problems. But I think here's the biggest one is screen time. Like, Windows came around in 1995. Microsoft. Cell phones were these big old bag phones that you carried around. You eventually got to the point where you could text. There were no smartphones. Then all of a sudden you get these phones that are like, can do anything. The the screen time that we spend on these, it's like a 24-hour lifestyle on Facebook and emails and phone calls and Instagram and just constantly, constantly. And then not only the phones, but the televisions that you had three networks when I grew up. Now you've got like 30 million streaming platforms. Doesn't, doesn't even make sense. The, the screen time. On average, uh, the generational cohort born in and after 1996, who are dubbed as Gen Z, watches 7.2 hours of video on their screens per day. Seven hours a day. With content constantly available to them many of the gen zers are finding them they call it doom scrolling this you know how you get into and you get in the rabbit hole and you just keep going and going and going on tiktok and instagram so now the smartphones and the social media have become ubiquitous and the algorithms condition young people to stay glued to their phones and this generation is going we're realizing what this is doing to us and guess what's coming back with the Gen Z. This was reported on Good Morning America this week. What? KD KD Del Fabro, he's not here. But if you know KD, it's a flip phone with no internet. And the guy can't even text that much. He doesn't text. Don't ever text KD. But the, the serious, Gen Z is going back to the phones without the internet. 
they, they don't get rid of their smartphones. They don't get rid of their smartphones. They just carry a flip phone with no internet. And then when they go out with their friends, they take their flip phone. Because they're learning that the screen time is destroying their relationships and their experiences. That's the younger people that are growing up in this anxiety-fulfilled world because of what they're having to watch and see and do every day. (laughs) I heard Chloe, she's here, say, yeah, my kids aren't going to have those screens. I'm not going to, well, yeah. (laughs) You don't say anything. I just wait till Sunday and say it in front of everybody. Because you go to school and, you know, they're handing preschoolers pads, iPads, and it's like, it's, it's the world, and it, it just causes anxiety. There's, a, there's other things that, you know, cause anxiety as well. It's like just driving causes, causes anxiety. I think that they ought to make license plate cell phone numbers. Now, some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, yeah, I'd be calling everybody, and some of you are thinking, oh, everybody would be calling me. <laughs> Just an idea. You, stress anxiety comes from fractured family systems. Man, think we just got through the holidays. Oh, Some of you are just like glad it's over. Stress anxiety comes from being lonely, being isolated, Financial pains, working 60 to 80 hours a week, trying to be successful, strained personal relationships, your marriages, your, your family. So how do you know you're stressed? How do you know you're stressed? You, you have unusual mood swings anger, depressed, exhausted, disassociation and withdrawing from people and crowds, your body changes. John used to know when I'd get stressed, I had, uh, Michelle, I always forget what it's called, but he'd like stick your tongue out and I'd have like sores on my tongue. It doesn't happen anymore. But literally, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be stressed out, and it would play out on my tongue. Yeah, it's weird. That's how the body. But you can have panic attacks. You can not sleep. Uh, you have a tendency to abuse substances, even caffeine, alcohol, weed, whatever. Health-related issues, ulcers. Victim, victim mentality. Step on some toes here, but shopping sprees. Like, these, these things all play out in our stress and our anxiety. So the question is, does God have anything to say about anxiety? Watch what Paul says after he goes from this two ladies somebody help these ladies it's causing stress and anxiety in the church Paul says this rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice Paul knew you would question this so he said it twice 
Rejoice always. Let, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Only 21% of men say they received emotional support from a friend in the past week, compared to 40%, 41% of women. That was a 2021 survey. In just the same way, just 25% of men say they've said, I love you to a friend recently, as opposed to 49% of women. Watch this. Troy, I love you. What? <laughs> Troy, Troy, I love you. <laughs> you know how long it took me to get him to that point? And here's the best part about Troy is like he'll be down at the shop with like Chris and Jake and all the guys working on a car and I'll say, hey, Troy, I love you. Say it. <laughs> Say it. And the other day he said, I love you. And he hung up and get, Jake goes, were you talking to Rusty? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I love you. S just try saying it. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And then he says this. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> That's funny. Don't worry about anything. Paul just sat there and talked about, you know, these two ladies and everything else, and somebody sit down and talk to them, please. But don't worry about anything. Like, you know, what if I have a good reason? Well, Paul's in prison, and he can possibly put to death. He gets it. He understands. He's saying, don't worry about anything. What is worry? The Greek word translated anxious means to be pulled in different directions. That's the division. You can have division even in your own head. Our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us the opposite direction, and we're literally pulled apart. I've said this before. The difference between fear and hope Fear and hope is they're both projecting into the future, but one is in a negative sense and the other is in a positive sense. That's what fear is. It's projecting into the future. That's what hope is. It's projecting into the future. The old English root word from which we get our word worry means to strangle. I mean, that, if you have ever really worried, <laughs> you know how it does strangle a person. It gets you. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. <laughs> and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Let me back up there. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
that, that, that's where we get stuck sometimes on how to pray. Like they tell us that we're supposed to like uh, um, pray and then we ask God and then we adder, do adoration and we, we list all the things and it's like we, we come up with this way of praying and that's not what Paul's saying here. He's like, if you've got issues, let them go. Like literally lay them at the feet of Jesus. It's not like, Jesus, I need you to do this in this situation, and, you know, oh, I didn't get my prayers answered. He's like, stop worrying, just, it's going to be okay. I literally spend most of my life saying, it's going to be okay. It may be a terrible situation, but it's going to be okay. And the peace of God. I can have my own peace, which is about that deep if I'm producing it, or I can have the peace of God, which I have because the Spirit resides in me. And it surpasses all understanding that I can even imagine. Like, I can't understand it. it, it, it it's far greater than I can think about. I would rather have his peace than my peace. His peace is greater. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, <laughs> Dr. Walter Cabot reported a survey on worry that indicated that only 8% of the things people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. 8%. The other 92% were either imaginary, never happened, or involved matters over which the people had no control anyway. That's what worry does. We start thinking, and you go down this dark trail of what could happen. You Google it. And you go down this dark, dark path when you Google it. My friend Jeff calls that devil's information. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, not Google, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, he's saying whatever is worthy of respect and right. He says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Purity, truth, excellence, the things of God. <laughs> this is funny. Because you come to church on Sunday morning and you hear things that are worthy and trustworthy and excellence and high morals and everything else, and you start out your Sunday really, really good. And then tonight, Sunday night, you're going to watch the Grammys in 1923 and the mayor of Kingstown and uh, what's, the, what's, that, what's that other? Oh, Tulsa King, it comes on tonight too. And you're going to go to bed with all that stuff in your head. 
<laughs> and, you, and you start out the day good, but you end the night, you know, watching stuff, and you're going to wake up and start having dreams about Taylor Swift and Lizzo and Beyonce with these cowboy hats and boots on with the rifles shooting each other over a bag of weed, and the whoever survives ends up in prison and probably gets shanked in prison. That's, that's how we think. That's how we think. It, it all gets like logged up here in our head because we watch that stuff. But what if, what, if to, what if this week, I know you do this, you, you, just, you just get in bed and you dwell on moral excellence. Just, 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 just do this. You get in bed and you look at your phone one last time. I know you do. I do the same thing. I enter my calories every night. <laughs> like it's doing any good. But uh, some nights there, I'm a long time. But, uh, but, but what if you just look at this passage of Scripture every night before you go to bed this week? What if you just look up Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and just read it before you go to bed? I'm not shooting on you. I'm just saying, what if you did? What if, what if that's the last thing that you do and you put in your head? We either yield our heart and our mind to the Spirit of God, and we, we practice this right praying and thinking and living, or we're going to yield to the flesh, and our cells will be torn apart with worrying. It's all in what you want to like think about. It's all Paul's saying, think about these things. And then in verse 9, he says this, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me, and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The result there is that the peace of God is the one that guards our hearts and our minds. The peace of God does that. We experience peace with God, and the peace of God takes us a step further into his blessings that that doesn't mean there's an absence of absence of trials on the outside i get it there's things going on that you can't control but it does mean a quiet confidence within regardless of the circumstances and the people or things there's a peace of god that dwells in me people go how do you how do you deal with everybody's junk well, I don't. It's not my junk. And there's a peace of God inside of me, inside of me, that allows me just to rest. Um, my family struggles with anxiety. Your family struggles with anxiety. I've said this before in here. It's like... Uh, Michelle, when she struggles at nighttime, she'll put her headphones on and she'll just listen to Jesus music. Keith's told me before when he's struggling that uh, Connie sits beside him and reads the Bible to him. 
how, how do you how do you deal with the thoughts? How do you deal with anxiety? It's a good question. I'm kind of curious what you guys do. What do you do? Nobody has any anxiety? What? Be in the nature, be outside, and be in God's creation? Yeah. That's calming, isn't it? Talk to a friend? Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. Pray. And, and, and you say pray, but really all that is is just talking to God. Yeah. You say this a lot, right? I say this a lot. I love when people quote me all the time. Yeah. So you say that's resetting your mind, but when I zoom out, it just I try to get a broader perspective. Generally, it just goes back to that small percent that really matters. And just focus on something too narrow. So zooming out, just a bigger perspective. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that at the end of uh, chapter three last week about zooming out. Is what he was saying. Just. If you can see things from God's perspective, that's what we call wisdom, being able to see things the, the way God sees things. But we get so like zoomed in on the, the very moment and the very issue that it, it'll freak you out. It'll freak you out. But if you can like zoom out and go, okay, I know this is bad, but there's, there's, there's got to be a bigger... Anybody else? Exercise. Exercise? Who said that? Yeah, of course you did. Bell family. <laughs> Exercise. No, it's good. I mean, it's it's a release. It for it for sure is. Yeah. 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 Breathing. I was getting ready. So I was sitting here thinking that. Just just breathe. Just take a deep breath. Yeah, just memorizing memorizing the word. Best way to do that is just read it over and over again. Bathe in it. Uh, Paul's list of encouragement here to the church is number one, just anchor your joy in Jesus not circumstances if it's as Matt was saying it's like my identity is who I am not what I do and if I focus on that constantly having those verses around me go on lovener.com and there's identity verses and the, there's a link on the front page and it'll take you to like 75 verses just look at those 75 verses and it talks about your identity of who you are in Christ maybe you just post those things all around your house and realize this is who I am, it's not my circumstances, it's not the things that I do it's who I am 
rejoicing, rejoicing. He says, do everything with joy. Rejoicing cultivates this heart of hope. It causes us to think positively into the future. That's what joy does. Maybe respond. Maybe respond gently and reasonably. Sometimes we let our emotions dictate how we express what we're thinking. But you can express the same thing in a gentle, reasonable, chilled out manner. How do you do that? The Spirit does it in you. Otherwise, I'm letting my motion of rusty, rusty, ooh. I've had to learn, okay? He says, Jesus is always with you. He never leaves you, even when you're lonely, even when you're isolated. The prayer thing is important. Conversation with Jesus He says, choose to be anxious about nothing. That's a, that's a difficult battle. I'm just telling you right now. Choose to be anxious about nothing. He says, meditate, think, mentally stay focused on Jesus. Think, dwell, in order to respond. It affects how we respond. He says, live according to the truth, the truth that you know. Not your emotions and your feelings, but what you know. Our thoughts sometimes are not always true. So you have to go back to the word, go back to the word and see what is truth and live according to the truth rather than your anxiety and your worries. Plug in here. He's like, get those ladies and sit down with them. Get them things figured out. We do this as a community. We walk with each other. This is, that, that's the main thing that we do here in this group. And most of all, just accept the peace of God. It's a gift from God that you already have. Just trust it. Paul literally is writing this letter to the church because he loves them. And I tell you these things because I love you. I, I've responded both ways. One way I typically regret. The other way I've learned to rest. And I've learned to say, I love you more. I love you. Father, I, I pray for uh, those in this room. I know that uh, I sit here and I look out and I think about all the issues in this room. But I zoom out and see the bigger picture. That you love us. You've made us perfect. You've redeemed us. You've forgiven us. And we just need to trust you. So Lord, that's what I'm doing today. I'm trusting you with my friends here and my family here and that you will continue to teach them, teach me, guide us. Just be at peace this week. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.